0: Hey everybody, Legs Malone here. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Lunch with Legs. I am very excited to bring this particular episode to you as it is the first time we are featuring multiple people speaking into my beautiful microphone. But more on that in just a second. Thanks so much for all of you who have been clicking on our Amazon page. It looks like our link is fixed, so go ahead and shop away at Amazon. Make sure you use our portal at www.lunchwithlegs.com. And uh, if you want to spend a little bit less money and get a lot less material satisfaction, you can go ahead and click on our PayPal button. You can donate anything you feel appropriate to our podcast. Again, that's at lunchwithlegs.com. The reason I am pushing this is because Dave and I are getting ready to do a big to-do out in Vegas for the Burlesque Hall of Fame weekend. And uh, we've got a lot of really cool things coming up. So we would really appreciate your support in the form of That universal currency called money. And of course, love, too, but unfortunately, love doesn't pay for promotional (laughs) materials. Anyway, whatever you can give would be so deeply appreciated. Uh, And I really appreciate your guys' support. And it's always just such a treat to run into so many people on the street or at shows and say, oh my God, we love your podcast. And that just mm, makes my heart sing. So. Thank you to everyone who is listening and taking around an hour outside of your day, or out of your day, rather, to uh, check out our labor of love here at Lunch With Legs. So thank you. Before we get onto the episode, I want to give a little shout-out, or rather a big shout-out, to a shop in Long Island. I know you're like, a shop in Long Island? What? Well, the good news is, if you are nowhere near Long Island, you if you are a fan of... Great Vintage Clothing, this beautiful store called Paper Doll Vintage Boutique. It's located in Seville, New York. I am very fortunate to teach some really fun burlesque classes there on a semi-regular basis. And they have a shop on Etsy, and you can check out all of their goodness The woman who runs it, her name is Dominique. She is a fabulous lady who is an incredibly hard worker and has made quite a name for herself and her shop in the very short time that they have been open. So if you guys are looking for a dress, some shoes, some great accessories, she has some of the best purses I've ever seen. Um, By all means, please go visit their Etsy shop. That address is etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y, for those of you who have never even heard of that website. Uh, it's etsy.com backslash, backslash shopping paper doll. All exactly as it sounds. By all means, check them out. If for some reason you are in New York and you are going to go to Fire Island this summer, which if you have never been, just go. Just just go, especially for the drag invasion in, on July 4th. Just go. Just go. It's amazing. Uh, Fire Island is an extraordinary little strip of land full of everything from the wildest hedonism you've ever seen to some really lovely, quiet family spots. Uh, but one of the shuttles, or the what's the word, the boat, you know, the ferry, that's the word I'm looking for, one of the ferries to Fire Island leaves from Sayville. So if you are going out to Fire Island and you have a little bit of time to kill before your ferry arrives... Paper Doll Vintage Boutique is literally a five-minute walk from the train station, and you can easily call a car from there to take you to the ferry, which is another five-minute drive. So please go ahead, check out Paper Doll Vintage Boutique. They're on Facebook. They're on the interwebs. Go check them out. Give them some love. They are an extraordinary, extraordinary boutique, and you will not be sorry. So by all means, and if you buy something, make sure... You tell Dominique that Legs sent you, because she's a great gal, and I really want to support her business in every way I can. So, commercials out of the way. Let's go ahead and get into this episode. This episode is dedicated to the phenomenon that is naked girls reading. It was created by Michelle Lamore, who is a burlesque superstar based in Chicago, and her husband, Frankie... Oh my God, I'm sorry Frankie, I'm totally blanking on your name. I have no notes in front of me as I'm doing this, I'm completely talking off the fly. I'm sure I'm going to remember this as I'm completing this. Um, But Michelle created a franchise, for lack of a better term, of an event that is exactly as it sounds. It is literally naked girls reading. And I was very fortunate to interview the New York City chapter head, the wonderful Nasty Canasta. Uh, and she read some stuff, and then I got Creamy Stevens as well as Gal Friday. And if you guys don't know who they are, just stay tuned. They are a piece of work, both of them, all of them. So go ahead, pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of something good, and get ready for the Naked Girls reading episode of Lunch With Legs. Hi, Nasty Canasta. How are you, honey? I'm well. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming over. Thank you for having me. Just in time for Crazy Cat Hour. Oh
1: yeah, so here they, they come. They will
0: undoubtedly be making a lot of noise in the background mm-hmm. as we discuss such erudite things <laughs> that we are bound to do. Um, so, I want to I want to let our listeners know a little bit about you before we get into the real meat and potatoes of this particular episode. Sure thing. You have been a burlesque performer in New York City for how long now? Uh, a little over 10 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's spectacular. I just had my
2: 10 anniversary. No, aluminum anniversary. Alu- oh, is that what 10 yes. is? Aluminum. I find that delightful.
0: I don't know why. That's amazing. Isn't like five years leather? I, feel I like believe that should, so. That should be reversed. Something like that, yeah. Unless aluminum was worth more back in the 20s mm-hmm. or whenever this exactly. was written up. Back when. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I know the first anniversary is paper. That much I do know. Yes. Um, So you can write thank you cards. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Oh my gosh, that's the gift to give, I guess. Anyway, fascinating segue side Mm -hmm. side note. Um, You have been so you've been doing this for ten years Mm now. Um, You have also. I mean, you are sort of a rock star in my book, The Burlesque World, <laughs> um, because you placed, was it second runner-up at Exotic yes. World? Or first second, runner-up? Second, second loser. Okay.
2: No, that's, this is a very big, I'm, I'm very proud second loser. <laughs> Not the first loser, it's the second loser. <laughs> I believe Christina Nakia was the first loser that year. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> and then was that? Uh, and Roxy was the was the non-loser queen. that year. <laughs> she was the the only non-loser yes. that year. Um, yeah, that I, I am really sorry I missed that performance, your was, Dorian Gray episode. It was fun. It's one of, or, I think, maybe three times I've ever done the numbers. So. Wow. Well done. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, though, as a segue into the, the sort of bones of this podcast, mm. the fact that you got on that exotic world stage with a very literary literarily referenced act. I'm still sort of... It was kind
2: of... not. I'm not surprised or anything, but I'm still just very proud of that. And, and it was... I mean, I haven't actually been back in the last few years, but that was a particularly wonderfully weird year, so it was It was kind of nice. Oh, that's
0: um, awesome.
2: I think I remember... I, I don't remember a lot of the stuff that was there, but I remember uh, Christina Nakia did a sort of zombie bride kind of thing. And... Uh, Miss Tickle was there with her wings and.
0: Oh, that's the year she swept. She, mm-hmm. I think, she won three awards mm-hmm. that year. Yeah, so best debut, was most innovative, and most, most dazzling, t- something like that. And it was,
2: it was just very, yeah, it was nice. It was a, it was a very um, unique and personalized. Set of performances that year, which yeah. was which was nice. I'm I'm
0: very happy I was part of that. Oh, that's awesome! I'm, I'm yeah. Again, I really regret missing that. But I want to. Um, I mean, bring it back to the literary because mm-hmm. this is the naked girls reading episode mm-hmm. of the podcast, or as somebody said, naked girls podcasting. Yes. Um, just for this one time. Um, reading has been a huge part of your life, hasn't oh, yeah. it? Yeah. I mean. I One of my favorite things that you do every year for your Naked Girl reading shows, because you are the New York City producer mm-hmm. of the franchise. Is that technically what it is?
2: Yeah, yeah. chapter. Chapter. And see, that's all literary, too, so we call them chapters. Oh,
0: indeed. Duh, <laughs> of course. Um,
2: every Christmas, you read A Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. I think most of the chapters, if not all of them, do. We do uh, uh, A Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol, and We do Dickens, um, Dickens' performance text, which is uh, what he toured with for... Years and and did readings of and wow. performances of and um, Dickens is I mean he's one of my favorite authors I know a lot of people had you know a lot of words he got paid by the word and I I don't necessarily believe that was true um, he also ha- was had an amazing use of language just incredible and especially that particular book and it's I mean it's a novella it's tiny it's hundred pages maybe oh wow um, and. For years, my own personal Christmas tradition, because I had um, a lot of different families that I was shuffled around between, or family houses for holidays, so the one tradition that I ever got to stick to was that I would read A Christmas Carol every night, every Christmas Eve before I went to bed.
0: Mm.
2: Just to myself. And um, I still try to do it, although usually by that time we've done it in the reading, so I don't necessarily feel like I need to as much anymore.
0: But but
2: the book itself, people think it's a silly, you know, little whatever, because they've seen Mickey's Christmas Carol and that episode of Roseanne with the ghost of Christmas past and all of that crap. And there are some really bad pop culture versions of it, but the text itself is... Remarkable. I mean, the language actually just makes me cry to this day. I must have—I must have read it at least fifty times, and it—it it still. Um, there's beautiful, beautiful turns of phrase
0: in there. Just mm-hmm. incredible. That's yeah. I I felt very fortunate to be one of the readers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you did a couple a of years, years ago. ago. Yeah, it was wonderful. It's it's so much fun. And I know I've asked you this before, but I will, and I will undoubtedly ask you again. I would love for you to come back and read a Christmas Carol sure. for the podcast because, Absolutely. a, you have a beautiful reading voice, but also just the fact that you care so much about the text, and it really shows There's in your reading of it. One part
2: that we um, that I is actually not in the Dickens. Uh, cut version that's from the the full version that is one of my favorite pieces of writing in the English language ever and it's um, so I'd love to read that one.
0: Oh god yeah
2: it's about uh, walking through the streets on Christmas morning with the ghost of Christmas present and it's just it's delightful also the you know anglophile in me it's just it's London on Christmas
0: morning in <laughs> 1860 whatever and it's just oh it's so amazing it's beautiful wow so, coming to Naked Girls Reading, um, how long have you been... Well, okay, I have a slew of questions. Mm-hmm. One, what is it? B, how long have you been doing it? And C, anything else you want to say.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, it is... I mean, we, we like to say this. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's Naked Girls Reading. Um, it was started in... The math is failing me. I think about five years ago in Chicago by uh, Michelle Amora and Frankie Vivid. And... In October of that same year, whatever year it was, um, five years ago, uh, they asked me to start doing, uh, I think we were the first chapter outside of Chicago mm. um, to start doing shows here, and now there's I mean, literally just dozens um, of chapters in different states and cities and um, countries. There's a ton in Australia. It's huge in Australia. Wow. I just got an invite to one in I want to say Tanzania. I could be wrong. Holy Maybe cats! Maybe it's Tasmania. I'm not sure. One's in Africa. One's in Africa. I don't think it's the Africa. Tanzania's
0: one. in Africa. I
2: think it's Tasmania,
0: though. Okay, yeah. Ta- um,
2: wow. But I, I think that might be the like geographically furthest away. Yes, yeah, seriously. Um, the most
0: remote of the mm-hmm. chapters.
2: It's just—it's amazing. I mean, it's—it's it's such a wonderful idea, and I know. Um, so different, different people in different cities and and different places. Um, you know, we kind of we, we run them. I mean, it's essentially the, the same thing. It's naked girls reading, and I think pretty much everybody does uh, themed readings um, at every, however often they do it. We're monthly, and um, you know, and I think it's different. I, I know different people, um, different places. There, are, there are different laws. I, I know about where you can do them. So I think some of them have to be in galleries or oh, yeah, um, private spaces or that sort of thing. I mean, here it's New York, so we've done it in bars and. Um, and that sort of thing. And we're, we're in a theater space now and have been for a while. And I, I, I like that a lot. I actually think it's, it's kind of a perfect mix of sort of downtown New York, but also, um, you know, but it's, it is theatrical. It's, yeah. it's a, it's a theatrical presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think pretty much everybody, you know, that's, that's part of it. So, um, you know, and the themes are, can be super, super, Open. I mean, what was that? I think the last one you did was world leaders. Yeah. So that's kind of any any damn thing fits. Um, And then this this month or or next month, sorry, it's in May. Our theme is going to be. It's a little more specific. It's um, cake versus death. I really, about Finally, once a year. Finally, somebody will settle that age exactly the fight. literary debate. Well, we do oh these about God. once a year. I've been doing these versus shows. <laughs> um, this is the first one I did was bros versus hoes. And it was, you know, chick lit and dude bro books. Oh and God. I mean, that was so much fun. Um, and then I think after that we did pirates versus ninjas, which I was remember that one. Ni- finding ninja literature was, was rough, but people did it. Um, and we did dinos versus vampires because that just felt right. <laughs> Uh, and then, um, so I was watching Dress to Kill, the Eddie Izzard, um performance, and, and he has this wonderful bit about, you know, would you like cake or would you like death? And just choosing cake or death. And then I thought, yeah, so ah.
0: It, I've seen that one. Yeah, that is really funny. It's
2: it's really funny, the piece itself. And then um, and then I thought, oh, that would be a great theme. So, Cake versus death. Yep.
0: Wow. I look forward to uh, hearing about what people mm-hmm. end up choosing to read. Because Me too. I mean, they're both such rich topics. Yes, I
2: we have a um, in this one. I have a, a, a very, very dear friend. I know you've met her, um, the Naked Librarian, who's yes. a, a children's librarian. So she always finds some wonderful, richly illustrated things to uh, to read. And then I think uh, Magdalena Fox and Evelyn Vinyl are in that one as well. Excellent. So, and I don't know what the hell I'm going to read for. Well, I don't know what I'm going to read for cake. Haven't decided yet. Yeah, because you read you read a
0: lot of pieces for every show. I tend
2: to do You do shorter bits. I tend to do some a few shorter bits. Um you know, so it, it, it ends up being about the same amount
0: of time as people as everybody else read it. Yeah. Uh, and there's a pretty strict time limit for the readings.
2: We tend to do you know, it's it over five years. I mean I think the first the first couple readings we did there were God, like five readers, and me so there were like six readers, and people were doing three pieces, some of them, and whatever. And I think um, given the New York City attention span, we've sort of pared it down a little bit. So it's um, there's four readers. There's three guests and me, and um, the guests do two pieces each. They're about five to eight minutes. And then I do a, a few... Three-minute pieces, two-minute pieces, whatever. So yeah, it's really nice um,
0: sprinkling.
2: Yeah, it tends to be. You know, we're in a sp- we're in a space with only one bathroom, so um, the intermission try to keep that small too, yeah. and, and all that. But um, you know, we always lose people at halftime who kind of walk out going, "Oh my god, this is great! We have to get up early tomorrow." Yeah. So um, you know, that's what it is. But, yeah, totally. But it's it's a fun night, and it tends to be. I, you know, we always have people come in and go, I didn't know what to expect. So I'm like, really? Because it's called the thing it is. It is called the thing it is. We didn't think you were really going to be naked. Well, okay, but that's the title I mean, we of are it. wearing shoes. Yes. And a lot of jewelry because it becomes incredibly significant what jewelry you wear when that's all you're
0: wearing. <laughs> Absolutely. Or lack thereof. mm mm-hmm. Um, can you, where can people find out if they want to attend Naked Girls Reading here in New York City? Where can they go? They can go to nakedgirlsreadingnyc.com. Amazing. And And this is a monthly
2: show, yes? Yeah, we're on the third, we're almost always on the third Wednesday of every month. Awesome. Sometimes that gets changed, but. And the shows do tend to sell out, don't they? It's a small space. I mean, I think if we really cram them in, we only have about 55 seats or
0: so so it's a nice nice um, intimate it's intimate
2: I think any bigger than that we do the we do the Christmas readings in the um, the theater company's larger space um, just because we need the chairs and it's a bigger space and it feels weird people feel
0: far away to me Mm. Um, so I prefer the smaller space personally yeah very cool well, in the spirit of all things naked and mm-hmm. girls and reading, you are going to be reading a very cool uh, excerpt from a book that I absolutely wholeheartedly admit that I have not yet read. Well, it's it's here in front of you, and I'll leave it, it queued is, yes, up. Should, exactly. you, should you be looking you. for something to read later? Yeah, it's but. nice that this text is available online mm-hmm. in its entirety.
2: Mm-hmm. It's, one um, it's one of my favorite books. We uh, So the last reading we did... Was uh, not themed. It was just a uh, smorgasbord, and I had three of my favorite favorite readers: um, Creamy Stevens, Sapphire Jones, and Gal Friday, who I, I've talked to too. Um, just pick two of their favorite pieces, uh, or just two things that they wanted to read, and um, and I uh, I have I mean my my three favorite books were are, are toss up. Um, I have read from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy many, many, many times at Naked Girls Reading, so I sort of called that one for myself. <laughs> and then um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is one of my other book, favorite books, and I know Gal I called that um, yes. pretty early for she, her, she, she's for she's her piece. She's reading it for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up... Uh, I don't remember what I read for that one. That's really funny. Did you read this? I did. I read this, and... Wow. It's all good. I'm going to have to go look that up because it's going to drive me crazy. But I did read from this. This is my other, my my third favorite book. And what is this? Uh, this is Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. Amazing. And it's it's an incredible, incredible piece of writing. Uh, it's just beautiful. And I read it. I first found the book when I was 13 years old and I was on vacation with my family in some rented house on Cape Cod. And I read absolutely every book that was there in like four days And ran out of things, so we went to a bookstore and I picked up. I don't think my mom. I don't think my mom knew what the book was. Um, So I was like, "Whatever, this looks good." And I still have the copy that I bought. Um, Wow. And I actually tend to read it like once a summer because it's a very summer book to me. Mm. Um. So I. uh, So that's the copy that I read, and I have to. I had to tape it up this year because it was falling apart. But. Ah, I love
0: books. Mm Mm-hmm. They are the best. It's. Yeah. Can't get better than that. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's go ahead and shift into the reading. Then, um, mm-hmm. is there any intro you want to give to this piece or any back? I don't think so. I actually, this is the this is the the selection that I read
2: last time, and I, I think it's I think it's pretty self explanatory.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, here you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Nasty Canasta, reading from Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. Now I wish to introduce the
2: following idea. Between the age limits of nine and fourteen, there occur maidens who, to certain bewitched travelers, twice or many times older than they, reveal their true nature, which is not human, but nymphic, that is, demoniac, and these chosen creatures I propose to designate as nymphets. It will be marked that I substitute time terms for spatial ones. In fact, I would have the reader see nine and fourteen as the boundaries, the mirrory beaches and rosy rocks of an enchanted island haunted by those nymphets of mine and surrounded by a vast, misty sea. Between those age limits are all girl-children nymphets? Of course not. Otherwise we who are in the know, we lone voyagers, we nymphilepts, would have long gone insane. Neither are good looks any criterion, and vulgarity, or at least what a given community terms so, does not in- necessarily impair certain mysterious characteristics, the fae-grace, the elusive, shifty, soul-shattering, insidious charm that separates the nymphet from such coevals of hers as are incomparably more dependent on the spatial world of synchronous phenomena than on that intangible island of entranced time where Lolita plays with her likes. Within the same age limits, the number of true nymphets is trickingly inferior to that of provisionally plain, or just nice, or cute, or even sweet and attractive, ordinary, plumpish, formless, cold-skinned, essentially human little girls— with tummies and pigtails, who may or may not turn into adults of great beauty. Look at the ugly dumplings in black stockings and white hats that are metamorphosed into stunning stars of the screen. A normal man given a group photograph of Girl Scouts or schoolgirls and asked to point out the comeliest one will not necessarily choose the nymph among them. You have to be an artist and a madman, a creature of infinite melancholy with a bubble of hot poison in your loins and a super-voluptuous flame permanently aglow in your subtle spine— Oh, how you have to cringe and hide. In order to discern at once, by ineffable signs, the slightly feline outline of a cheekbone, the slenderness of a downy limb, and other indices which despair and shame and tears of tenderness forbid me to tabulate, the little deadly demon among the wholesome children. She stands unrecognized by them and unconscious herself of her fantastic power. "'Furthermore, since the idea of time plays such a magic part in the matter, the student should not be surprised to learn that there must be a gap of several years—never less than ten, I should say, generally thirty or forty, and as many as ninety in a few known cases, between maiden and man, to enable the latter to come under a nymphit's spell. "'It is a question of focal adjustment, of a certain distance that the inner eye thrills to surmount, and a certain contrast that the mind perceives with a gasp of perverse delight.' When I was a child, and she was a child, my little Annabel was no nymphet to me. I was her equal, a faunlet in my own right, on that same enchanted island of time. But today, in September 1952, after twenty-nine years have elapsed, I think I can distinguish in her the initial fateful elf in my life. We loved each other with a premature love marked by a fierceness that so often destroys adult lives. I was a strong lad and survived, but the poison was in the wound, and the wound remained ever open, and soon I found myself maturing amid a civilization which allows a man of twenty-five to court a girl of sixteen, but not a girl of twelve. No wonder, then, that my adult life during the European period of my existence proved monstrously twofold. Overtly, I had so-called normal relationships with a number of terrestrial women having pumpkins or pears for breasts— Inly I was consumed by a hell furnace of localized lust for every passing nymphid whom, as a law-abiding poltroon, I never dared approach. The human females I was allowed to wield were but palliative agents. I am ready to believe that the sensations I derived from natural fornication were much the same as those known to normal big males consorting with their normal big mates in that routine rhythm which shakes the world. The trouble was that those gentlemen had not, and I had, caught glimpses of an incomparably more poignant bliss. I was aware of not one but two sexes, neither of which was mine. Both would be termed female by the anatomist. But to me, through the prism of my senses, they were as different as mist and mast. All this I rationalize now. In my twenties and early thirties, early I did not understand my throes quite so clearly. While my body knew what it craved for, my mind rejected my body's every plea. One moment I was ashamed and frightened, another recklessly optimistic. Taboos strangulated me. Psychoanalysts wooed me with pseudo liberations of pseudo libidos. The fact that to me only the object of amorous tremor were sisters of Annabelle's, her handmaids, and girl pages, appeared to me at times as a forerunner of insanity. At other times I would tell myself that it was all a question of attitude, that there was really nothing wrong in being moved to distraction by girl children. But let us be prim and civilized. Humber Humbert tried hard to be good, really and truly he did. He had the utmost respect for ordinary children, with their purity and vulnerability, and under no circumstances we have interfered with the innocence of a child, if there was the least risk of a row. But how his heart beat when, among the innocent throng, he espied a demon child, enfant charmante et faubes, dim eyes, bright lips, ten years in jail, if you only show her you are looking at her. So life went. Humbert was perfectly capable of intercourse with Eve, but it was Lilith he longed for, a shipwreck, an atoll alone with a drowned passenger's shivering child. Darling, this is only a game! How marvellous were my fancied adventures as I sat on a hard park bench pretending to be immersed in a trembling book. Around the quiet scholar nymphets played freely as if he were a familiar statue or part of an old tree's shadow and sheen. Once a perfect little beauty in a tartan frock with a clatter put her heavily armed foot near me upon the bench to dip her slim bare arms into me and tighten the strap of her roller skate and— I dissolved in the sun with my book for fig-leaf as her auburn ringlets fell all over her skinned knee, and the shadow of leaves I shared pulsated and melted on her radiant limb next to my chameleonic cheek. I could list a great number of these one-sided diminutive romances. Some of them ended in a rich flavor of hell. It happened, for instance, that from my balcony I would notice a lighted window across the street and what looked like a nymphid in the act of undressing before a cooperative mirror— Thus isolated, thus removed, the vision acquired an especially keen charm that made me race with all speed toward my lone gratification. But abruptly, fiendishly, the tender pattern of nudity I had adored would be transformed into the into the disgusting lamplit bare arm of a man in his underclothes, reading his paper by the open window, in the hot, damp, hopeless summer night. Rope skipping, hopscotch. That old woman in black who sat down next to me on my bench on my rack of joy. A nymph it was groping under me for a lost marble and asked if I had stomachache, the insolent hag. Ah, leave me alone in my pubescent park, in my mossy garden. Let them play around me forever. Never grow
0: up. Wow. And I thought it was very apropos that mm-hmm. there are screaming children in the hallway as you're <laughs> reading. This. Well, it is Brooklyn, so there's bound to be. It book. is Brooklyn. Wow, that's <laughs> that's very
2: powerful. and. It's an incredible book. It's also, um, you know, the character is a scholar, is a, well, in his own mind. Um, so it's a very, it's a book about literature and about being, it's not metatextual, but it is a book about being part of a literary world and being part of literature and creating as you go and I don't know it's um it's it's really quite beautiful and very problematic for a lot of people and I understand that but um if you just accept that it's fiction um then it's it's incredible I mean it's amazing I actually just uh just heard backstage in the last reading we were talking about it and somebody mentioned that there's an annotated version um that I'd want to find. Just because there's so many references and allusions and um, bits in other languages and things that um that even I sort of after having obsessively looked up every bit of it that I can over time, um, there's a lot that I'm still missing. So wow. I would like to find that.
0: Well, I wish you luck. Thank you. I'm I know sure that's out there. Lots mm. of good um I recommend abebooks.com, A B E books.com they have a lot of uh, used and out of print books oh excellent Um, and then I know Amazon has opened up their Mm -hmm. marketplace and stuff but yeah no I definitely I hope you find it yeah I'm looking forward to it Awesome. Well, I'm, thank you so much for being a part of this particular episode. And um, I want to underscore everybody listening, go to Naked Girls Reading in New York City. Um, oh, wherever Ghana, you are. In New York City, They're wherever everywhere. you are, exactly. They're everywhere. Where? Where? Can you name a few? I mean, clearly Chicago mm-hmm. is the mother, the mothership, mm-hmm. the mother chapter.
2: Um, um, they
0: just started one up in Toronto, excellent. which I am
2: um, very, very glad to hear. Um, there is, I believe, Seattle. I, I know there was a chapter. Yes. Um, there's one in uh, Philly. I've, I've read with them. Um, Miss Rose runs that. And.
0: Is there one out in Long Island? You know, they had talked about starting one up, and I don't know if it happened. So I guess my, my next and final question will be mm-hmm. if people are interested in bringing Naked Girls Reading to their city, mm-hmm. um, what do they need to do? They uh, just need to talk to
2: the folks at, at headquarters, um, which is. Uh, I think there's a form, there's a link on the page, what they would like to ask, um, what
0: they need to know from you, and then they'll kind of go from there. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Cool. Good to know. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you. And I look forward to having you back to read A Christmas Carol. Absolutely. Thanks, babe.
3: Okay. My name is Creamy Stevens, and today I'll be reading a piece by David Thorne, who has a website called 27b-6.com. And this is a piece entitled, Dear Neighbor, You Are Not Invited to My Party. A few weeks ago, a guy moved into the apartment across from me. I know little about him apart from the fact that he owns cane Furniture as I saw the delivery guys carry it up. I bumped into him on the stairs once, and he said hello, but I cannot be friends with someone that owns cane furniture, so I pretended I had a turtle to feed or something. Last week, when I checked my mailbox, I found that my new neighbor had left me a note stating that he was having a party and to let him know if the noise was too loud. The problem I have with a note is not that he was having a party and didn't invite me— It was that he selected a vibrant background of balloons, effectively stating that his party was going to be vibrant and possibly have balloons, and that I couldn't come. If I was writing a note to my neighbors saying that I was going to have a party, but none of them could come, I would not add photos of ecstasy, beer, and gratuitous shots of sex showing them what they are missing out on. I would make it clean and simple, possibly somber, so they didn't think, you prick. From David Thorne to Matthew Smythe, subject RSVP dear Matthew thank you for the party invite at first glance I thought that it may be a child's party what with it being vibrant and having balloons but I realize you probably did your best with what little tools were available I wouldn't miss it for the world what time would you like me to be there regards David from Matthew Smythe to David Thorne subject RSVP hi David Sorry the note was, was just to let you know that we might be a bit loud that night. The housewarming is really just for friends and family, but you can drop by for a bit if you like. Cheers, Matthew. From David Thorne to Matthew Smythe. Subject, RSVP. Thanks, Matthew. Including me in your list of friends and family means a lot. You and I didn't tend to have long discussions when we meet in the hallway, and I plan to put a stop to that. Next time we bump into each other, I intend to have a very long conversation with you, and I'm sure that you are looking forward to that as much as I am. (laughs) I have told my friend Ross that you are having a party, and he is as excited as I am. (laughs) Do you want us to bring anything, or will everything be provided? Regards, David. From Matthew Smythe to David Thorne, subject, RSVP. Hi, David. As I said, my housewarming is just for friends and family. This is not, there's not a lot of room, so I can't have too many people come. Sorry about that, mate. Cheers, Matthew. From David Thorne to Matthew Smythe, subject RSVP. Dear Matthew, I can appreciate that. Our apartments are not very large, are they? I myself like to go for a jog every night to keep fit, but fear that leaving the house so that I have to jog on the spot, taking very small steps with my arms straight down. I understand the problems of space restrictions all too well. If you would like to store some of your furniture at my place during the party, you are quite welcome to. If we move your cane furniture into my spare room for the night and scatter cushions on the ground, that would provide a lot more seating and create a cozy atmosphere at the same time. I have a mirror ball that you can borrow. So I have told Ross to not to invite everyone else due to the space constraints, so it will just be the two of us and my other friend Simon. When I told Simon that Ross and I were going to a party, he became quite angry that I had not invited him as well. So I didn't have any choice. So can he come as well? He can be quite violent. Sometimes I'm afraid to even be in the same room with him. So just myself, Ross, and Simon. Simon's girlfriend has a work function that night, but might come along later if she can get a lift with friends. Regards, David. From Matthew Smythe to David Thorne. Subject, RSVP. WTF? Nobody can come to the housewarming party. It's just for friends and family. I don't even know these people. How do you know I have cane furniture? Are you the guy in apartment one? From David Thorne to Matthew Smythe. Subject, RSVP. Hi, Matthew. I understand it's an exclusive party, and I appreciate you trusting my judgment on who to bring. I just assumed that you had cane furniture. Doesn't everybody? Cane is one of the, possibly the most renewable natural resources we have after plastic. It is not only strong, but lightweight and attractive. Every item in my apartment is made of cane, including my television. It looks like the one from Gilligan's Island, but it is in the color, of, in color, of course. Do you remember that episode where a robot came to the island? That was the best one, in my opinion. I always preferred Marianne to Ginger. Same with Flintstones. I found Betty much more attractive than Wilma, But then I am not really keen on redheads at all. They have freckles all over their body, did you know? It's the ones on their back and shoulders that creep me out the most. Anyway, Ross rang me today, all excited about the party, and asked me what the theme is. I told him I don't think there is a theme, and we discussed it and feel it should be an 80s-themed party. I have a white suit and a projector and coming as Nick Kershaw. I have made a looping tape of Wouldn't It Be Good to play as I'm sure you will agree that song. this song rocks and has stood the test of time well. I am in the process of redesigning your invites appropriately and will get a few hundred of them printed off later today. I will have to ask you for the money for this uh, as print cartridges for my Epson are pretty expensive. They stopped making this model a month after I bought it and I have to get the cartridges sent from China. Around $120 should cover it. You can just pop the money in my letterbox if I don't see you before tonight. Regards, David. From Matthew Smythe to David Thorne, subject, RSVP. What the fuck are you talking about? There is no theme for this party. It is just a few friends and family. No one can come. It is only for my friends and family. Do you understand? Do not print anything out because I am not paying for something I don't need and didn't ask you to do. I'm not. I'm sorry, but I'm heaps busy, and that night is just not convenient. Are you in Apartment 1? From David Thorne to Matthew Smythe, subject RSVP. Hello, Matthew. I agree that it is not very convenient, and must admit that when I first received your invitation, I was perplexed that it was on a Sunday night. But who am I to judge? No, I am in Apartment 3B. Our bedroom walls are touching— So when we are sleeping, our heads are only a few feet apart. If I put my ear to the wall, I can hear you. I also agree with you that having a particular theme for your party may not be the best choice. It makes more sense to have it, leave it open as a generic fancy dress party. That way, everyone can come dressed in whatever they want. Once, I went to a party in a bear outfit, which worked out well as I was freezing and I was the only one warm. As it won't be cold that night of your party, I have decided to come as a ninja. I think it would be really good if you dress as a ninja as well and we could perform a martial arts display for the other guests. I have real swords and will bring them. If you need help with your costume, let me know. I have made mine by wrapping a black T-shirt across my face with a hooded jacket and cut out finger holes in black socks for the gloves. I do not have any black pants, so we'll spray paint my legs on the night. It is a little hard to breathe in this costume, so I will need you to keep the window open (laughs) during the party to provide good air circulation. Actually, I just had a thought. How awesome would it be if I arrived through the window like a real ninja? We should definitely do that. I just measured the distance between our balconies, and I should be able able to jump it. (laughs) I once leaped across it in a creek that was over five meters wide, almost made it. Also, you mentioned in your invitation that if there was anything I needed to let you know, my car is going in for service next week. And I was wondering, seeing as we are good friends now, if it would be okay to borrow yours on that day. I hate catching the bus as they are full of poor people who don't own cars. Regards, David. From Matthew Smythe to david thorne wtf no you can't borrow my car and no there isn't there's no fucking 3b apartment i reckon that you are that guy from apartment one you are not coming to my house warming and you are not bringing any of your friends what the fuck is wrong with you the only people invited are my friends and family i told you that it is just drinks there is no fucking fancy dress and only people i know are coming i don't want to be rude but jesus fucking christ ma'am from david thorne To Matthew Smythe, subject, party. I have been away since Thursday, so have not been able to check my email from home. Flying back late today for the party, and just wanted to say we're really looking forward to it. We will probably get there around 11 or 12, just when it starts to liven up. Simon's girlfriend Kathy's work function was canceled, so she can make it after all, which is good news. She will probably have a few friends with her, so they will take the minivan. Also, I have arranged a pinata. Regards, David.
1: My name is Gal Friday, and I will be reading from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson. Saturday midnight. Memories of this night are extremely hazy. All I have is a pocketful of Kino cards, cocktail napkins all covered with scribble notes. Here is one. Get the Ford man. Demand a Bronco for race observation purposes. Photos? why not a helicopter get on the phone lean on the fuckers heavy yelling another says sign on paradise boulevard stopless and topless bush league sex compared to la pasties here total naked public humping in la las vegas is a society of armed masturbators gambling is the kicker here sex is extra weird trip for high rollers house whores for winners hand jobs for the bad luck crowd Mainline gambling is a very heavy business, and Las Vegas makes Reno seem like your friendly neighborhood grocery store. For a loser, Vegas is the meanest town on earth. Until about a year ago, there was a giant billboard on the outskirts of Las Vegas saying, Don't gamble with marijuana. In Nevada, possession 20 years, sale life. So I was not entirely at ease drifting around the casinos on this Saturday night with a car full of marijuana and a head full of acid. We had several narrow escapes. At one point, I tried to drive the great red shark into the laundry room of the landmark hotel, but the door was too narrow, and the people inside seemed dangerously excited. What were we doing out here? What was the meaning of this trip? Did I actually have a big red convertible out on the street? Was I just roaming around these mint hotel escalators in a drug frenzy of some kind, or had I really come out to Las Vegas to work on a story? My immediate task was to deal with the car and get back to that room, and then hopefully get straight enough to cope with whatever might happen at dawn. Now off the escalator and into the casino, big crowds still tight around the craps tables. Who are these people? These faces, where do they come from? They look like caricatures of used car dealers from Dallas, but they're real. And sweet Jesus, there are a hell of a lot of them, still screaming around the Desert City crap tables at 4.30 on a Saturday morning, Still humping the American dream, that vision of the big winner somehow emerging from the last-minute pre-dawn chaos of a stale Vegas casino. Big strike in Silver City. Beat the dealer and go home rich. Why not? I stopped at the money wheel and dropped a dollar on Thomas Jefferson, a two-dollar bill, the straight freak ticket, thinking as always that some idle instinct bet might carry the whole thing off. But no. Just another two bucks down the tube. You bastards. No. Calm down. Learn to enjoy losing. The important thing is to cover the story on its own terms. The Red Shark was still on on Fremont, where I left it. I drove around to the garage and checked it in. Dr. Gonzo's car, no problem, and if your men fall idle, we can use a total wax job before morning. Yes, of course. Just build the room. Strange memories on this nervous night in Las Vegas. Five years later? Six? Seems like a lifetime. Or at least a main era, the kind of peak that never comes again. San Francisco in the middle 60s was a very special time and place to be a part of. Maybe it meant something. Maybe not, in the long run. But no explanation, no mix of words or music or memories can touch that sense of knowing that you were there and alive in that corner of time in the world. Whatever it meant. History is hard to know because of all the hired bullshit. But even without being sure of history... It seems entirely reasonable to think every now and then that the energy of a whole generation comes to a head in a long, fine flash, for reasons that nobody really understands at the time, and which never explain, in retrospect, what actually happened. My central memory of that time seems to hang on one, or five, or maybe forty nights, or or very early mornings, when I left the Fillmore half-crazed and, instead of going home, Aim the big 650 lightning across the Bay Bridge at 100 miles an hour, wearing L.L. Bean shorts, booming through the Treasure Island Tunnel of the lights of Oakland and Berkeley and Richmond, not quite sure which turnoff to take when I got to the other, but being absolutely certain that no matter which way I went, I would come to a place where the people were just as high and wild as I was. There was madness at any direction, at any hour. You could strike sparks anywhere, There was a fantastic universal sense that whatever we were doing was right. That we were winning. And that, I think, was the handle. That sense of inevitable victory over the forces of old and evil. Not in any mean or military sense. We didn't need that. Our energy would simply prevail. There was no point in fighting on our side or theirs. We had all the momentum. We were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. So now. Less than five years later, you can go up on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west, and with the right kind of eyes, you can almost see the high water mark, that place where the wave finally broke and rolled back.
3: And there you
0: have it, folks, our beautiful readers. And in the spirit of Naked Girls Reading in this particular episode, I have been very fortunate to read at quite a few of the events. And so to close this episode, I would like to read you a poem by W.S. Merwin, and it is called Thank You. Listen, with the night falling, we are saying thank you. We are stopping on the bridge to bow from the railings, We are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We are standing by the water, looking out in different directions. Back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging after funerals, we are saying thank you. After news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. In a culture up to its chin in shame, living in the stench it has chosen, we are saying thank you. Over telephones, we are saying thank you. In doorways and in the backs of cars and in elevators, remembering wars and the police at the back door and the beatings on the stairs, we are saying thank you. In the banks that use us, we are saying thank you. With the crooks in the office, with the rich and the fashionable, unchanged, we go on saying thank you, thank you. With the animals dying around us, our lost feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forests falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we are saying thank you. With the words going out like cells of a brain, with the cities growing faster over us like the earth, we are saying thank you. Faster and faster, with nobody listening, we are saying thank you. We are saying thank you. Thank you. And waving, dark though it is. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode, guys. I again appreciate your listenership. And by all means, please tune into us on iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. That is our fabulous currency to have the iTunes store notice us and push us up in the ratings. So if you are appreciating this, please take a couple minutes and give back to us. We would appreciate it so, so much. I wish everyone a beautiful rest of your day or evening or week or month, whatever your period of time is. And I look forward to bringing you another fabulous episode very, very soon. Lots of love, guys. Be good to you. Take care. Bye. Want some lunch for your ears, lunch with legs.